hello listener, let's start this uh, situation. G'day, Bleakness for bleakness. How's it going? That's Darcy. That's Darcy. Uh, we'll, we'll roll the intro music. A modest house, a picket fence, a couple kids, some common sense, a job to pay your mortgage or your rent. And all these goals are understood, but misery is a public good, so come and feed your sorrows till you spend. Well, just to come, the captain said, the icebergs are the dead ahead, the men will keep the engines fed, I have a deal with God. We're at the end of history, there ain't a hope for you or me, when workers philanthropically believe in the economy. But what a feast for tired eyes, the poison earth, the boiling skies, and everyone their own damn spies, remember when the world was wise, we know, no, no. We got a couple of like little tiny bite-sized things that I emphasize we must keep bite-sized before we dig into our main topics. Yes, and we will um, using discipline and focus. Yeah, two of our most salient traits. Uh, the first, well, do you want to talk about the um, Supreme Court? Yes. Evidence? So Donald Donald Trump has played a dangerous gamble um, by trying to appease the evangelical base by appointing a devout Catholic to be the Supreme Court justice, which is not like a million miles away from appointing a Sunni cleric to be the Supreme Court justice as far as evangelicals are concerned. It's going to be interesting to see how it yeah. goes down. I haven't seen a lot of pushback uh about that online simply because much as a big part of the evangelical community is very supportive of uh, the project of Israel as a sort of fulcrum for their... uh, They're very supportive of it, but but that's because it's happening like literally an ocean and a sea away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's instrumental for their ascension to heaven, right? It's not about... No, they don't actually Jewish care people. about Jewish people, no. They don't actually uh, care about anybody. They are morally very disturbing, the evangelicals. It's literally just yeah. Jesus. They have no other concerns. I bring it up only to to suggest that they have a history of being pretty mercenary with their uh, uh, policy stuff. And this woman, I forget her name. Amy uh, Coney Barrett. Amy Coney Barrett. Quite good because Coney means rabbit, so you could call her Amy Rabbit Barrett, which I quite like. Yeah, that is nice. It's got a it's got a rhythm to it. Uh, but she she could represent uh, the death of Roe v. Wade. Uh, she could. She's an interesting. So. But this is where she's kind of a gamble because she has said in the past that she would recuse herself from any rulings on which the Catholic Church has a strongly stated public position. So she may potentially, assuming that she's mm. consistent with that, um, she may uh, I'm may not be available for a Roe v. Wade uh, ruling. Sure. I mean, that is investing a lot of uh, faith in her consistency there, uh, yes. which I don't. <laughs> that, is, that is uh, completely fair. She's an American politician, essentially, in the year 2020. I know she's a justice, but... Well, there are, it's, it's a branch of government. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's very naive to assume that judges are not political animals. Yeah. Well, the Supreme Court explicitly, so they talk about conservative versus liberal yes. Uh, yes, they justices do. very 
very openly, which, you know, whatever. On the one hand, it's like, yeah, but it's supposed to be an apolitical body, but it's also like it, there's no such thing as an apolitical uh, well, what's interesting is that person. there's not, especially as a fucking branch of the, like, they're, they're, they're part of the actual government executive. Like, of course, they're a fucking political body. But yeah. um, the other, the, the prominent liberal now left on the Supreme Court is, I think, Sotomayor. Yeah. And she, uh, she's not the only liberal, but she seems to be the prominent one. And she is a Catholic. She's meant to be. Yeah. So that, that, interesting. that could be interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, yeah, for those of us with an interest in the the Game of Thrones intrigue between different sects of Christianity, I suspect in the long run it won't really matter that much. Yeah, you are probably right. But um, it's interesting. She, she's like uh, Amy Coney Barrett. She seems like she would have been a really good neocon pick or a really good sort of like a, a Reagan-y bushy pick. It seems like a, yeah. she seems an odd choice for Donald Trump. Um, yeah. I mean, he doesn't have. I should stress. I don't unlimited think options. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. she's nowhere near as bad as I was expecting. She seems to be. Um, she seems to have a little bit more room for manoeuvre than I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... And Alex Jones is having an absolute fucking meltdown about her um, because he thinks the Pope is now going to be in executive control of the United States, which I love. (laughs) It's back to 19th century... Yeah. Irish Italian migration anxiety. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis is suddenly like so politically relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't you understand? They want to take our stovepipe hats with the little buckles on them. Who tells them how to vote? The Pope, what sits on his throne <laughs> in Rome. <laughs> So yeah, Alex Jones has literally turned into Bill the Butcher. Yeah, yeah. Is this what you want to see? Is this what you want to see? The American people, their freedoms and their choices uh, reduced to submission under the teleology of Catholic Catholic orthodoxy? Not (laughs) a... uh, Yeah, I don't know. I think think she's bad. I think you're never going to get or at least at the moment, you're not going to get a justice who's explicitly really fucking uh, conservative in the or like reactionary in the way that electoral politicians are, because you know it's a high level old timey field of sort of expertise or whatever, and yeah, even scholarly occasionally that we don't have. In um, but but it's much less of a filter than you have for like the Australian or the English judiciary, right? Because it's a blend of elected judges who then go on to be politically promoted beyond 
the electoral realm. Amer- American yeah. judicial system is a fucking biz- like, like their whole political system, I guess. It's a really mm-hmm. weird hybrid of like we're going to take a bunch of the really shit things about England and then mm-hmm. kind of remove some of the institutional accountability elements. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just make it a blend of popular voting and then political maneuvering to see who gets to the top. So oh, absolutely. I think if you pass your law degree and you pass the bar exam and then you spend whatever minimum time it is as an attorney before you're allowed to get a judgeship, it's difficult. Like, it's harder than being just like a kind of party apparatchik. Mm. But it's 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 still not any kind of barrier to, you know, fucking mad people. No, of course not. And there's like a proud history in the US of absolutely mad fucking judges. And I'm sure that we'll see them filter up over time to the higher offices, presuming that this decline of empire uh, shit keeps going on. But I just mean like even like Scalia would occasionally deliver uh, opinions that were surprising or whatever. And, and I kind of just expect it to be a bit more centrist in as an institution and like you know like old mate ruth uh peace be upon her uh or whatever she she delivered some shitty judgments uh on the pipeline and and shit like that so i think it's just one of those institutions where it's like i think for now you're not going to get a trumpian figure there but what's important is just the the tendency of the uh, of the body and the fucking insanity of lifetime appointments. Uh, I suppose, yeah, God, nobody should be allowed to be there for more than a decade, surely. But um, mm-hmm. I think the the thing with the Supreme Court that probably the reason that they work fundamentally differently to the Senate and Congress is that the Supreme Court are actually bound by like the grammar of the English language. So, yeah. um, <laughs> sure. like. A lot of the times where Scalia made a surprisingly good judgment or Ginsburg did something horrible, like you find that the language they were dealing with didn't have sufficient ambiguity. Like if if they're just confronted with a piece of legislation that's virtuous or wicked, whichever, that they take issue with, they they have to find an excuse to take an issue with it and you can't. Yeah, yeah. Whereas that yeah. there's no such concern for like Congress or the White House. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But like, I don't see. I think Coney Barrett will probably exist in that same on the right side of that same. Yeah, uh, probably dimension. Pretty. I mean, I think Bader Ginsburg did not like Roe v. Wade. I believe she um, thought it was too weak. Like, yeah, yeah, for for political reasons. Yeah. She did not. I doubt if if it gets struck down, that's not going to be the reason. Um, but, you know, and also they have their Gorsuch and they have their Kavanaugh, so they've got some more intensely kind of shitty justices recently as well. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's fucked. I think America is fucked. We'll see what the long-term fallout of this pick is whether she gets confirmed she will and uh all the rest of it but 
you know, it's more of the same. Speaking of which, um, the Brexiteers are, are winning uh, impressive border victories over the United yeah. Kingdom. They are taking back control <clears throat> like absolute mean motherfuckers. Absolutely. And people scoffed at the idea of of, uh, of having any agency over these borders when back when Farage was talking about an Irish border and stuff like that. But look who's laughing now. A border between Kent and fucking Essex. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I think the Kent and the Essex people will both be very down for this. It's the rest of the UK that's going to object to it. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking (laughs) sure. Well, now the Kent is French, so (laughs) which they've always wanted. They've been wanting since 1066 (laughs) to be recognised as part of the superior mother country. They can really fucking yeah (laughs) codify their uh, (laughs) fucking uh, rivalries now. It's fucking stupid. It's stupid as hell. Lorry lorry drivers have to have. Uh, paperwork to go into Kent is yes, the idea. That's right. And this is supposed to somehow not cause a permanent traffic jam. I'm sure Pretty Patel is drafting an extremely articulate and clear explanation of how this yeah. win for unchaining Britain. Um, yeah. <laughs> But it's I, fuck it. it's, uh... this, it's it. So there's this guy, there's this MP called Steve Baker, right? Who's yeah, is <laughs> a Tory. Of course, I've forgotten his um, name already. They all yeah. have the same fucking names. He's got he's got exactly. Listen to the bio: former Royal Air Force engineer, consultant, bank worker, and Brexiteer who served as chairman of the European Research Group from 2016 to 17 and 2019 to 2020. Um, so yeah, yeah, if you, I'll wait for you to emerge from the stupor. That's just in June. <laughs> Steve, Steve Baker's explained one of the problems with the Brexit project at the moment. And this is this is referring to Boris Johnson and why he hasn't done all of the things that he was supposed yeah, to. Yeah. Many of us will have seen Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes. Theoden the king is under the spell of his advisors, and he has to be woken up from that spell. When he wakes up from that spell, joy comes to pass in the kingdom, which isn't even true. That's not how the story goes. No. It's immediately a disaster. Like, Theoden almost gets them all killed and has to be rescued. Yeah. But, uh, (laughs) like... Why, why, why would that be the the analogy that you draw? Like, I don't know, but I people, love it. Th- th- these are the Brexiteers who've got their fingers on the pulse of the disenfranchised, <laughs> like dispossessed former working man of the United Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, you see, <laughs> in the story about the elves and the goblins. <laughs> yeah. If we if we can say that the. Uh, the Ramonas within the Tory Party are like Grima Wormtongue, <laughs> the servant of Sauron. The not at all obvious Jewish character in the Lord. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor J.R.R. And to be fair to him, the dwarves were based on us as well, so we we had we had some positive representation. <laughs> Yeah, the dwarves are like quite occasionally positive representation. The dwarves, the dwarves were whimsical in their virtue. Um, yeah, 
but sometimes very virtuous. <laughs> well, yeah, and the whole the whole message of the story is that it's the whimsically virtuous who are the most virtuous. So <laughs> it's good. Brit- Britain and America are both just like so. No foreign power has ever like fundamentally like dealt a lethal blow to Britain or the United States. But they are both doing the world this weird favor of like just disassembling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In front of us, it's it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> it's like uh, I was playing Universal Paperclips that that uh, text only clicker game, which simulates the paperclip maximizer problem, which states that an AI that's designed just to make paperclips will end up turning the entire universe into paperclips. Yes, yes, that it would do. Yeah, and you get to the end of it, you know, you start off making paper clips and selling them on the on the market and then you take over the world and then you expand to universal uh exploration and you gradually just transmute all of the matter in the universe into paper clips and then the last few gestures are you have to destroy all of your uh like factories and apparatus and stuff to, to make them into paper clips. Yeah. Yeah, so this is the the situation the the u.s empire and the british empire have just taken themselves as far as they can uh they've sown so much chaos in the world that the most efficient way to eke out that extra bit of chaos is just to to pull apart their chaos factories break them down into their constituent chaos elements and make a fucking border in kent (laughs) it's all going well everything's fine it's a good thing that Jeremy Corbyn didn't become prime minister <laughs> and ruin. Oh, can you can you imagine how anti-Semitic it would be, Darcy? Oh my goodness, it'd be terrible. It would be terrible. Rebecca Front would be hanging from a lamppost outside Parliament House. It would be awful. Yeah, yeah. So I'm every day I say a prayer of thanks to Rachel Riley for her tireless work in, electing in Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Electing Boris Johnson and ensuring that instead of an exclusive society, which is defined by who belongs and who doesn't belong, we can have a unified, inclusive <laughs> Britain with a series of borders within its own border. The Tories are like legitimately committing to pretending to not be anti-Semitic because it's literally what every other ethnic group are including like to be honest kind of anglo celtic britons they have nothing but contempt for (laughs) yeah that's that's kind of the other thing is like thing where it's like don't let them know that we also hate the jews for some reason that will yeah yeah (laughs) that's i don't want to that's the straw being like menacingly dangled over this poor fucking camel that's buckling Yeah, yeah. It, it's really, it's like, obviously, anti-Semitism has like a really deep and significant history, particularly in Europe. But it's when they get up there and they're like, basically saying, no, 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 we love the Jews. They're nothing like the fucking Polacks. Then <laughs> how can people with a straight face just be like, I can oh, cool. not completely imagine Boris Johnson being like, well, of course, famously, Jews are superb infiltrators. They like nobody's business. Yes, yep. And that wouldn't that wouldn't even remotely punish him in the current politic either. He'd be fine with that. He could absolutely No, he can get away with it. The I'm sure there's boys to be like, yeah, that's right, fucking Jews, absolutely. They're the sort of migrants you can be proud of hating. 
<laughs> I, I'm sure that there's one of those fucking strange bald dudes who looks simultaneously old and young, like a baby scrotum, uh, running the numbers on when they can pull that trigger most advantageously and just clear the air and be like, all right, everybody, yes, we're anti-Semitic. Now that it's no longer a wedge, an electoral wedge against the Labour uh, Party. And yeah, Keir Starmer, yeah. like a fucking useless pile of rice, will just be like, oh, we're still not anti-Semitic. And Britain collectively will just say, we don't give a fuck. It was never about anti-Semitism. Keir Starmer will be explaining how he's got, like, some cultural sensitivity trainers from fucking Abbas Israel or some freak cult to come and explain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cultural sensitivity to the Labour Party backbenches. <laughs> mm. It'll be fine. <clears throat> Just before we move on, I do want to give a little peek behind the curtain and say to our listener that the reason I just bafflingly called Keir Starmer a useless pile of rice is because I wanted to say a bowl of rice pudding. But the thing about a, a call is that once you say the word pile by accident, you can't really say a pile of rice pudding. I suppose you could. but You can in have the a moment, pile of rice pudding, but it's an unorthodox way of serving it. I think it would be difficult to get into. Be, be yeah. Quite- I, I especially would feel for the waiter that had to convey it from the kitchen to the table. They would have yeah. warm, wet sleeves. This was this was my thinking in the moment when I had to make a call very quickly, and so I said pile of rice. I just wanted to provide like a skate magazine, frame by frame sort of situation of a fucked up trick, a trick I fucked up. Keir Starmer does actually have he I, he used to be quite handsome. He hasn't completely lost it, but he is developing that kind of British parliamentarian rice pudding face. It's true. It's yeah. you can see it sort of setting in. It's building on his bones. It's- He's starting to look like a fucking uh, like a guy from a TV, like a Buffy demon, basically. But if if that demon were just human. Like, he kind of looks like he's wearing prosthetics from a mid-budget 90s uh, speculative fiction television show. They all they all unnerving. hate themselves in different ways, I think. I think the way that Keir Starmer hates himself is that once every couple of months he has, like, a, a lonely kind of single man's malt whiskey bender and kind of climbs up into the loft of his um, ludicrous mansion and opens up Mm. a shoebox that he has hidden in the loft which is full of all of the radical political student movement badges he like acquired in the 1980s and he just kind of sits there with moist eyes thinking about jamming the pins into his flesh (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 Uh, for sure all right we we should we should push on right yes we should because uh, we we failed we failed our commitment to not take half an hour doing this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Well, that's all right because both of our topics are pretty short. Like my one is pretty short anyway. Yeah, my one is short because I, I still don't know enough about it to justifiably use it as a topic. But I'm going to anyway because yeah. I'm middle class. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, well, I want to talk, Darcy, about the new liberals who uh, are a political party, <coughs> a, 
a federal political party uh, who I saw cropping up on um, uh, on Twitter randomly. They would kind of inject themselves into conversations about Australian electoral politics a little a little bit like the movement for a people's party in the US, how they crop up in questions uh, or in debates about electoral issues. And they are presenting themselves as a bold new vision uh, for Australia without the the graft and corruption of the Liberal Party or the graft and corruption of the Labor Party, but with a, with a new common sense uh, uh, platform based on the desires of real empathetic Australians. Right. Okay. Now... I have looked through their platform desperately trying to find the uh, the fuck up, if you will, the like the Sustainable Australia Party's uh, footnote on every page that's just like, fuck immigrants. Yes. Um, Mostly we mean close the borders because <laughs> we are yeah. <laughs> Malthusian <laughs> medieval thinkers. Yeah. For the most part, the New Liberals... Uh, policy platform is is very good like it's it's still they're a liberal party obviously so they're capitalist fundamentally they don't uh have anything about sort of uh worker ownership or whatever but they uh they're for building affordable housing they're for arts uh funding because one of their uh, directors is a a writer and actor and is easily the most insufferable, uh, has the most insufferable blurb. A writer Uh, and an actor running for parliament is an insufferable prick. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to believe, but they have an arts policy based on funding. They're good on asylum seekers and refugees. They, uh, they believe in moving Australia day. They believe in climate change policy, corporate tax, you know, they're, they're, their policy platform is is by and large good, but there is one central policy plank which they don't uh, actually talk about on their policies page. And by reading their homepage to you, I want to see if you can pick up on what it is. Are you ready? Of course not. But let's see how we go. Uh, okay. So this is just their homepage. Uh, the New Liberals. Economically responsible, socially progressive. Now, that's a red flag. That is a huge red flag. It means that they're not going to provide adequate funding for any of the social progress they claim to want. Yes. And this is, I don't think they mean it in the way that economically responsible has come to be a political catchphrase. Like, they don't seem economically conservative in their policies. But nevertheless, it is a red flag. And there's another red flag uh as well but that's not the the central policy plank so let's keep going to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of of others nelson mandela there's a lot of these there's a lot of these quotes like i can see how small business owners need their own nelson mandela Yes. Uh huh. Uh, there's a there's an acknowledgement of uh, traditional custodians of country and uh, payment of respect, uh, which is good. All right. The new liberals are different from other parties. We are not politicians. 
most members of the New Liberals would never have entered politics unless they were driven to do so uh, by the yawning nothingness offered by the other parties. Uh The New Liberals have a vision for Australia, a long-term vision which will see this century become the Australian century. Uh, Another small red flag. Uh, The New Liberals (laughs) look beyond the next election. These ones I... I, One, Kieran, yeah. Yeah, these ones I genuinely do think are from naivety and and idiocy rather than... uh, I mean, look, if England could conquer India, then... uh... (laughs) <laughs> why why, yeah, why yeah. couldn't we conquer china what yeah who's to say i don't understand we like know i know until we've tried we won't. what they're trying to say is they want it to be the australian century in the same way that everybody refers to say the last century as the norwegian century uh which is to say that nobody fucking does because <laughs> even is- if we achieve their goal of a sustainable uh you know mildly socialist capital capitalist country with strong safety net people aren't going to fucking talk about it they're not going to call it the australian century <laughs> but anyway here we go here's the here's the good stuff the new liberals look beyond the next election and the election after that to the middle of the 21st century when we will be able to say colon and then a series of dot points australia has led the way in climate change initiatives and climate science and that was because of the vision of the new liberals. The country has become the global model for freedom and respect for the individual. It will only, be, it will only be 2026 by the time. It won't be there. They're only talking about two election cycles. Yeah. yeah it won't be yeah. the middle of the century. Let's not get... Caught. This isn't primer, Darcy. Let's not get caught up in, in, in continuity and, and temporal uh, uh, plot holes. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Kieran. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> uh, that's okay. The, 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 I fucking I love this this page. This country has become the global model for freedom and respect for the individual, where citizen, immigrant, and refugee stand proudly side by side to build a strong, cohesive society. It was the new liberals who achieved this. Uh, stop me when you start to notice a pattern. The nation of Australia has established itself as a dominant economic force where corporations pay their fair share of tax, individuals, groups, and companies are rewarded for their initiatives, government supports innovation, has solved water shortages, and has built a population to a nation of net exporters. All this was put in place by the new liberals. Um, Are you referring to the kind of messianic ranting without a clear path of uh, strategy? Yeah, Yeah, kind of. Using their, its economic power, the great pitch, Southland. Their pitch is essentially the new liberals will write an alternative history of the future and yeah. will be yep. a Oswank. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's more. <laughs> Using its economic power, the great Southland has become a place of security. That is due to the new liberals' realistic Australia-based defence policy. Holy fuck. Okay, so then they just take a step into... Absolute pure fascism, essentially. <laughs> Their defense stuff is a bit sketchy. Uh, what the fuck? <laughs> well, I mean, their they want to. Their plan is that we're, we're going to make Australia a military and economic superpower in 30 years. Yeah. Yes. That's- uh, 
but also that it's the new liberals that did this. Yeah, no, of course it would be them because they'll have just taken power by then according to the previous bit that they gave us. We're looking yeah. at the middle of the 21st century when we will finally have built up the critical mass to have already achieved all of our goals. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think they genuinely think that they're going to to win government in the next couple of Do elections. Do they explain now. why they're called the new liberal party as opposed to just being – I mean, how are they different to the liberal party? I suppose the liberal party are explicitly like opposed to – any kind of migration that's not in the service of private capital. Yeah, yeah, we will. I, I, I will get you to that because I, I think, I really do think that most of this is from naivety rather than latent fascism. Even though it reads exactly like a fascist manifesto. I mean, the I, thing about about latent fascism though is that it has yeah. quite a lot in common with naivety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this but is true. I almost say that latent fascism is essentially where anger and naivety meet. You sort of end up with the potential for a fascist. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure, for sure. Don't worry, I'm not going to argue in in fa- <laughs> in favor of the efficacy of this party or whatever. I just <laughs> there's some there's some more dimensions to it. We'll get to it. Hold on, hold on. I want to get through the rest of these. Uh, the, there's two more. No, three more. The new liberals have made Australian education the envy of the world and its delivery of health services a system to be emulated. Sure. The new liberals have made the country they govern a living testament to justice and the rule of law, where all have access to that law, where delays have been eliminated and waste of resources is unknown. Waste of resources. Hmm. The final point, the new liberals were able to do all this because they always stood up for what was right, whatever the consequences. The new liberals cared for Australia, not for their own narrow political futures. They saw how this could be the Australian century. They grasped that policy possibility with both hands and didn't let go until all Australians could stand proud, this knowing is, they had uh, a this part is, this is the in the great Australian yeah. adventure and say with voices loud and clear <laughs> and proud, tomorrow belongs to me. You fuck off. No, they didn't. I, that last sentence. Oh, was thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what we would call an artistic intervention. Yeah, well, but the entire political party is an artistic intervention. <laughs> it's very clearly the result of having a writer and an actor as one of your senior people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's they've got uh, a writer and an actor. Oh, they me. have a doctor and a teacher. I think. Yeah, she she. Dr. Catherine Klein was a teacher and a doctor. Steve Hopley. Doctor uh, of a, fucking what? Uh, uh, medicine. Oh, right. Thank goodness. That explains it. Because a, a lot of them are like quite bad at everything that isn't medicine. Yeah. Well, her thing is funding healthcare. You can kind of get a sense for how each of the little disparate parts of their policy platform got pulled together. Uh, and also why it comes across as like ridiculous ridiculously self-aggrandizing and naive and stupid that becomes clear as well yeah um we're going to build a humane society that's also extraordinarily aggressive and powerful and expansionary yeah i yeah i don't think they 
are expansionary. I think they, I genuinely think they've accidentally used the language of military expansionism. There's like one of the reasons why historians keep talking about how Genghis Khan like introduced this extraordinary postal service is because yeah. people need to be reminded that the Mongolian Empire was something other than murder. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not the new like- liberals will make sure that in the future, ten percent of Australians will be able to say that they share new liberal DNA, <laughs> and it will be because we always do what was right, not what was yeah. popular. We yeah. always do what's popular because we're a party of the people. Yep. Yeah. We know that so- people will only elect us to make tough decisions that they will yeah. they will support. Yeah, yeah. We are going to yeah. turn Fiji into the world's largest beach volleyball court. Hey, I'm on board with that uh, as somebody who's never played beach volleyball in his life. Uh, to be honest, I think I think um, Commodore Frank could play these people like a fiddle. <laughs> yeah. I think Fiji would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So there's there's Catherine Klein, she's like a teacher and a doctor and her thing is like funding healthcare, uh food supply, sustainability, bill of rights, uh republicanism, uh and I guess some defense stuff. We've got our mate Steve Hopley, uh, a writer, actor and theater maker holding <laughs> the mirror. <laughs> As a writer, actor, and theatre maker holding the mirror up to nature, I'm constantly drawing stories from truth and current affairs for the people around me, looking <laughs> back on the lessons of history. Uh, so he's the reason and education guy and good government. Uh, good government? Which- I find good government a reassuring platform in a political party. I'm always wary of political parties who explain their, uh, and and, and in detail, their disdain for the notion of good government. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of fucking nerd wants good government? (laughs) We're all about fun government. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We're just going to see what Uh, we get away with. Go on, give us a vote, see what happens. (laughs) (laughs) Government, that's our platform, just yeah. government. <laughs> we, will, we promise that if we win, we will be in power for at least three years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, the writer guy is like, he says, equal rights, civil rights, and human rights. He's a bit all over the place in a way that like a well-read person who hasn't really thought too much can kind of be. Uh, I don't know said, what that would be like for the first 25 years of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a familiar, it's a bit of a mirror. He really is holding a mirror up to nature, huh? Yeah. Uh, He says, liberty requires eternal vigilance, so I believe that democracy is not static but requires constant care and attention. That can go either way. He's an unrepentant Whitlamite. He's an unrepentant Uh, Whitlamite. Gough Whitlam was famously very into um, using capitalism to expand Australia's international power. Yeah, and also like you need to shut up about it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's um, fucking golf talking about the transformative power of private property again. Jesus, what? <laughs> <laughs> Leave it off, mate. Why would you call? 
Why would you call yourself an unrepentant Whitlamite and start a start a party called the New, the new Liberal, the New Anti Whitlam Party? The new- <laughs> 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 I can't get enough of God. <laughs> I guess, like, it, it, I, I suppose it maybe makes sense if they're using liberal in the kind of tortured American sense of not a liberal. Yeah. Oh my God. Stephen Hoffley's Twitter account, his pinned tweet. He f- fucking needs to understand the the link between aesthetic and discursive in writing. The new liberals are creating a wave of change which will sweep across the country and wash away the professional politicians with their power for us power at any cost philosophy. And we will replace them with real people from the real world who care about their country. Oh my God. Why, like, you know that that sounds like a fascist screed, dude. Come on, you have to. <laughs> well, um, we need we need a, a period of um, cleansing. We need to cleanse the nation. Yeah. <laughs> to recover, our, the recover our natural vigour. <laughs> yeah. That's been... Once we have trimmed the wheat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. There's Jennifer, there's Jennifer Phillips. She's the treasurer, so she doesn't really... Uh, she has the shortest blurb, and she's like, I'm concerned about gender equality, including pay and career opportunities, better mental health care and services, and excellent educational outcomes. So she's a middle-aged... Uh, treasurers? ...leading woman. Treasurers of, like, small organizations like this are very different to treasurers of large, powerful organizations. Yeah. Those are, like, guys on the make who are crafting a career for themselves and are near the top. Treasurers of small organizations like this are always just people who really enjoy being treasurers. They're just looking for something to be a treasurer of. Yeah. It's the person in the organization (laughs) with the weakest resolve so everybody has known that they can be bullied into doing the treasury stuff <laughs> they have no ideological attachment whatsoever other than to the idea of being the treasurer yeah um do you want to hear about the person whose position is described as the party leader you know i do Have victor to... klein victor klein victor Excellent. klein he's bald uh does he have side hair he doesn't have side hair. He's kind of sinister. He's 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 towing the line. Oh, sorry, not towing the line. Uh, uh, walking the line between sinister and approachable. He could be one of those switcher actors on an Australian drama. Uh, he's a a lawyer. He started the refugee law project, which does sound like a good thing. It's just a big sort of pro bono. Uh, legal organization uh, that acts on behalf of refugees, which is good. It is good. Uh, It's it's a shame he decided to expand his portfolio into being a delusional politician aspirant. Yeah. yeah. Political aspirant. (laughs) (laughs) Stop being Um, politicianal. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck me. Um, What What a word. You should join the new liberals. They could use. They could use somebody of my word smith worthiness. Uh, yes, a hundred percent. You'd really 
uh, butt heads with Stephen Hopley, I think. <laughs> um, so Victor Klein's blurb is just like, he talks about his legal thing. He's, he opens with, remember Peter Finch in Network when he leaned out the window and shouted, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, which Famous even as a- went Well, that was a film about how that kind of directionless fury can't be manipulated by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, even as a meme, though, that's like the oldest set, right? That are going to like the network thing. Like, Yeah, I don't think the Zoomers are going to be losing their shit over the network. Yeah. I guess they're not going... Uh, I guess they're not going for... Oh, God, speak, speaking of naive fascism. <laughs> oh, yeah, the Zuma tattoo. How did we not talk about the Zuma tattoo? <laughs> oh, way uh, to lose the generation's war, you dummies. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about the Zuma tattoo next week because yeah, I would like to I dig think, into it. I think we should, yeah. Or next next episode. Um so this guy talks about his legal thing and then he says, my second mad as hell moment was when I realized that I couldn't have a coffee with any of my friends, whatever their political persuasion, without us bitching about how frustrating, self-serving and just plain ignorant all our politicians were and how impotent we felt at having nowhere to go. I wonder how, uh, how broad his friends' political persuasions are. Do you think they're very he broad? He, he says he has friends who vote liberal and friends who vote labor. I think he necessarily got... mean that they're miles apart from one another. <laughs> no, no, not at all. That they're just to be honest. It can be just like an aesthetic preference, you know. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. He's got a lawyer's social set, you know. Yeah. Um, and he drafted a charter of core values. They all uh, showed it to everyone he knew. They all loved it, whether whatever their bent, labor, liberal, or green, which. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Politics without politicians, he says. Ah, yes. Like magic without magicians and <laughs> food without chefs. I love it. It's the best. It's always it's always perfect. Yeah. So that's them. I mean, uh, national security. This is what I wanted to find. Their policy uh, page on national security. They want to cut free from the U.S. alliance. Uh, development of our own defense capabilities based on our advantages of distance and being an island. We won't uh, need those if we break free from the U.S. alliance because they're not defense yeah. capabilities. They're they're helping America attack capabilities. That's, that's what yeah. we invest in. A hundred percent. Consequent development of small, fast submarine and air support capabilities. So they want to reimagine us as a sort of like. Oh, good. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna abandon the American alliance, but we only want to focus on like dangerous foreign military expeditions and adventures. We're not not actually remotely interested in a domestic defense force. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> Submarines and planes. We're gonna become. Uh, I mean skirmishes yeah. mongolian yeah. horse archers for the 21st century essentially the lessons of history are that portugal and holland and england all three countries all had their turn controlling the sea and we can too <laughs> oh man uh they, maybe we need by to... sea, sure maybe i mean the gulf of carpentaria but still you know <laughs> yeah yeah what is a country if not 
a fucking a hero in a story. That's the, the, story. Healthiest, yeah. the healthiest way to think of a country is to imagine it as an actual human protagonist in a moral. Yeah. <laughs> How do you think they feel in in China? Just being in a foreign country all the time. It must be so weird because you'd never get used to anything. Yeah, just living your entire life in a foreign country. It's how do you know which kid to copy off in class? It would be a nightmare. <laughs> it would be a nightmare. Here's the Whitlamism: uh, need to form mutually advantageous defense pact with Indonesia. Yeah, sure, but like based on what? Because we're regional rivals. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Friends. That would be do nice. Have any, with them, it would be. But there do we have be, any more outlying territory uh, in our sphere of influence that we could sacrifice to their military expansion? I mean, we could keep just like cheer squatting while they murder West Papua. Yeah, yeah. I guess that sounds like a good moral thing for us to do. Yeah. I mean, if it brings stability to the region. Um, Genocides and ethnic cleansing always bring stability. That's another lesson from history. There are never any yeah. negative consequences for um, committing genocide. Only, no, you only get stability, um, mm-hmm. and and and, and, it, and it's not just local. Your entire like faction's um, dissatisfaction rating will drop. Your stability rating will rise, and with that, you get more gold per turn, and you get more <laughs> points. To spend on submarines and planes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To plan for our own defense, we must first understand that we have the advantage of distance. If a major power wished to invade us, it would have to transport large numbers of troops a very long way on large troop transports protected by large battleships. Who wants to invade us? We would never have the battleship capability to resist them, but nor would we need to. This is this is a fucking a teacher, a writer, a <laughs> professional treasurer, and a lawyer just having a reckon about military strategy. <laughs> this is because we also have the benefit of being an island, which we can protect with a fleet of far less costly, small, maneuverable submarines, which could do significant damage to an invader. And even if that invader managed to land troops on our northern shores, it is by no means an easy matter to protect and supply those troops over a desert march of several thousand. This is just somebody read that fucking Iran versus US war game uh, story, the Millennium Project or whatever it was called. I've gone like, we'll just be Iran. Logistically invading Australia is, it would be very difficult, but it's also not something that massively needs to be worried about. No. If we're a problem to a major power, they'll just take out our massive population centers with strategically placed ICBMs. Yes. And then come in and sweep up. Or to be let's be real, all a major power would need to do is what a major power is doing at the moment, which is withdraw capital from us and then like biscuits. Oh. This policy is based on the work of Professor Hugh White former defence advisor to several prime ministers, and in particular his book, How to Defend Australia. I, If I, if my entire uh, identity were built on being different from the last several governments, I wouldn't <laughs> have a central policy plank be informed by somebody who worked in those governments so closely. Hugh White's a quite well-regarded defence policy analyst, I believe. Um, but I don't think he ever proposed that we sever our relationships with America. I don't think he's yeah. a radical thinker. 
his it was I mean, his job was to come up with extremely safe, boring policy from a like you know governing party perspective. It wasn't to dangerously shake up the foundations of defense thinking. Yeah, I think that this book, How to Defend Australia, I'm reading. Uh, I'm not. I'm scanning an article by him about his book, and it does. It talks about uh, America and. Uh, but it's not about severing relationships, as the new liberals suggest. It's about assuming that America will eat shit soon. Yeah, I mean that's reasonable. That's a reasonable thought. Look, I'm I'm into severing the alliance with America because it's Me too. It's fucking stupid and horrible, and it's, we're complicit in in international piracy and and, and criminality. But mm. um, I'm, I'm not thereby in favour of trying to turn us into the next America. <laughs> That's fucking mental. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, uh, the stuff that they say about, like, they want welfare to be uh, doubled, they want there to be uh, federal ICAC, they want, uh, they believe in modern monetary theory, which is refreshing. It is refreshing. They don't give a fuck about deficit. They want to... strong policy of deficit spending. They want to fucking fund the arts, which makes them thoroughly unique. Uh, they don't want to torture uh, uh, fucking immigrants. They want to build uh, large-scale common ground housing for homeless people and guarantee homeless. They want a jobs guarantee. Like, there's there's good stuff in there. But it's also just got this, like, bizarre fucking vainglorious strain to it and weird exceptionalist kind of angle. And the fact that on their main page, the central policy plank seems to be that they want people to remember that it was them that did all of these things. Yes. That created the Australian century. (laughs) Yeah. With our fleet of high-powered, highly mobile submarines. <laughs> yeah, because somebody read Hugh White's book and they decided to... Driving around. <laughs> like some kind of, like... Sh- Could you imagine, like, a cricket umpire? Just <laughs> like, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Settle down there, Indonesia. I'm calling for a review. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking... What the fuck are they talking about? It's so dumb. I mean, it, so it, it sounds like they would be like, um, you know, massively preferable to any one of the Labor Party, the Liberal Party, the National Party. They sound worse than the Greens, though. They do sound worse than the Greens. Um, so, what's the point? Uh, my the favorite. Greens, the Greens are the party to beat. Like, in in the sense of, if you want to be a new political party, you have to be better than the Greens. There's no yeah. point being not as good as the Greens. There's absolutely yeah. no point. Because then you're, uh, exactly. just, you're just in the way and and contributing to the fact that people go to the voting booths and get given a fucking medieval scroll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And go, oh, what the fuck is going on? I don't know who any of these people are. I can't even find the big parties on this fucking enormous list. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, they're also not helping with that 
thing where there's like a real confusion between uh, party names where it's like you got the Liberal Party, you got the new Liberal Party, you got the Liberal Democrats, you got the city libs, you got the country libs. Yeah, you've got the Labour Party, you've got the Democratic Labour Party, all this palaver. Yeah. 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 My favorite part we is need, definitely... There needs to be like a kind of, you know, how in like Denmark and various uh, European countries, they have quite a draconian uh, governance of what you can call your child. Yeah. There needs to be something brought in for political parties. There's got to be like a, a, a kind of common pool of terminology that once once taken cannot be reissued until yeah. the previous owner has been mothballed. And I think we should, to be honest, have a complete ban on uh, traditional political language, and it should be a pool of randomly generated new words. Absolutely. So that, so that you know, you've got to call yourselves the banana quadrant, and then over time, people will come to associate the banana quadrant with its policy platforms, but... It'll be fucking chaos the first yeah. couple of elections. I, if you want to be the, like idealist Kiplingite poetry and opium party, then you should have to call yourself the idealist Kiplingite poetry and opium party. <laughs> we believe yeah. in clever wordplay and racial hierarchy, and we're not ashamed to admit that. <laughs> My favorite even if we of- are, even if we are perversely like humbled by our greatness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, much like the 21st century, we have to leave the new Liberal Party behind. But I, I, I do love the Stephen Hopling guy, the character who's a writer who, whenever he tries to write inspirational prose, accidentally ends up writing fascist speeches. <laughs> I would like all political communication to take the form of Saxon epic poetry from now on. <laughs> You have to shout epic heroic verse across the chamber at one another. <laughs> yeah. That would be delightsome. It would. Um, shall we break to get a, a cup of tea and then finish the show? Yep. Sounds good. Excellent. See you in five. And listener, yeah. see you in fewer. So what have you brought in for us, Darcy? Well, so th- this came out of um, out of last week's topic. Do you remember I was um, trying to use nonviolent communication to reach people who were racists? I do, and try to try to get them to not be that anymore. One of yeah. the things that I found um, is that a, a big, big, big problem with racist sentiment in the West, uh, or at least like the, the Anglosphere, um, mm. which is the only culture I can significantly speak for, obviously, is that the history that we are taught to the extent that we are taught it is history uh-huh. as it's pr- sort of seen through the eyes of extremely conservative political figures who've put these history curricula together. And sometimes that's mm-hmm. the historians themselves. Sometimes that's the Department of Education. 
Um, but there are lots of problems with the history of English-speaking cultures that uh, are in circulation. And yeah, for sure. so I was yeah, yakking away with Jack and Jill, and I realized that they really had no... Um, they had no significant understanding of kind of class struggle pre like cold war pre Marx um, yeah. for them, the entire sort of class rights debate was framed purely in terms of, you know, a kind of fiendish plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that there was no kind of conception of an organic long-standing class struggle because we're never taught about it so i did some some digging it's really easy to find um references across uh like you know europe again i'm, I'm speaking to the the culture i'm from um of not just like peasant uprisings but organized class uprisings uh, across yeah. renaissance italy through rural germany and france and indeed England, the sceptered isle of commerce and shopkeepers and clogs. Yes, English people wore clogs. It wasn't just a Dutch thing. Um, I mean, yeah. They were very popular amongst all of the poor people of Europe. Sure. I don't know I, why the Dutch particularly got saddled with the clogs reputation. But it's just a hot potato situation. I think they weren't <clears throat> they didn't disavow it quickly enough. They the, they were the ones left holding the bomb. I think the Lancashire shit. clog was being worn into the 1950s and 60s. Interesting. But I digress. Um because these events did not take place in Lancashire. They took place further south. I'm going to talk today about the diggers and the levelers which is not a band, although I think it's quite a good name for a band. And the Diggers, yeah, and, the diggers and the Levelers were a 17th century response to the kind of arrival of modern capitalism in England and mm -hmm. the triumph of um, Cromwell's parliamentary forces over King Charles. One of the reasons that Cromwell was enormously successful is because he was able to marshal support from across the political spectrum of really mm. everybody who was anti-monarch. The yeah. reason that we remember Cromwell's um, kind of faction in the Civil War as being just his own Cromwellian Puritans is both because he himself did not want it to be known that there were other factions involved in resisting the king and because then subsequent pro-royalist historians also did not want it to be known there were other factions involved in Cromwell yeah. resisting the king. It was in everyone's interest that they were forgotten uh, yeah. for Cromwell because and, and, and for both the same reason. They were morally superior to Oliver Cromwell with much more exciting ideas than Oliver Cromwell had. <laughs> so he didn't want anybody to know that they existed. And, of course, the monarchists also <laughs> were pretty keen. Yeah. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. The resistance to the king was just these, like, lunatic Puritans. There was nobody else. Yeah. <laughs> there was Quakers? The what? Is I don't that... know about the Quakers. Uh, yeah, it was the Roundheads. The Roundheads, the Cavaliers, were the uh, Tories 
essentially the the the, the fancy lads who got uh, the absolute mm-hmm. shit kicked out of them. Well, it would have been wonderful to have been there, absolutely wonderful. But um, of course, it all went wrong quickly. Uh-huh. In any case, I first became aware of these people um, because. Yeah there was a debate being held as to whether the new model army should participate in the invasion of Ireland. And a large number of officers who felt that that was immoral because it was nothing to them that the Irish were Catholic. Um, They didn't feel that they'd fought to depose a tyrant in England just to impose a tyranny on Ireland. Didn't make any sense to them. So, of course, Cromwell had them purged, and this was the beginning of the Puritan takeover of everything. But before that, there were these interesting groups. The levellers were essentially so-called because they wanted to level society. Uh, They were very opposed to political privilege, yeah? Although they weren't particularly Mm. pro-femme. It was... (laughs) <laughs> um, humans were yeah, understood yeah, to be to be qualified. male people. To be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always that um, thing when you dig into not- the suffragettes or whatever, and you read the first ten pages, and it's like hell yeah, hell yeah, and then you get to the bit where it's like unless the woman is poor or black, and it's like oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Context of course, like you, you can't go um, f- crazy. Freedom isn't free; it has to be earned. You have to earn <laughs> yeah, your rights. Yeah. That's how rights work. Exactly. <laughs> They're only for people who are good enough to have them. Um, <laughs> this is a recurring problem with Western thinking. I got to say, like across Europe yeah. and across time periods, this is a really Western bugbear that that it does seem to be persistent. <laughs> doesn't it, in the West? Yeah. Universal rights are curiously limited. Um, in any case, the, the this was the faction that was led by um, John. Um, Lilburn, whose nickname was Freeborn John, and they were pretty crap. Um, Johnny Rotten. The yes, thank you, the butter salesman. That's right, Johnny. Yes, mm. <laughs> pretty crap um, because they were still very in favour of private property and enclosure. Right? Yeah, a big reason f- why the levellers and the diggers arose in the 16th century and the sorry the 17th century as opposed to earlier was that in the 16th century under the Tudors enclosure had taken off at a rate of knots which for anybody not all familiar with the term enclosure is the source of a lot of the wealth of the ancient families of England um, mm. most of the country used to be in uh, common land, uh, which was essentially land reserved for the sustenance of the community. It wasn't for profit. You could uh, graze sheep and grow crops and various kinds of things on common land. In the Tudor era, uh, Henry VIII being quite fond of private property, I think that famous painting of him towards the end of his reign with his hands on his hips looking as smug mm. as a bowl of punch is <laughs> maybe yep. the best painting ever of somebody who's very into private property it just sums it up <laughs> perfectly <laughs> yeah it does look like a uh, look like at a me hardcore and... libertarian's yeah. twitter profile picture it really does if they if they somehow run out of statues of mark antony or whoever marcus aurelius <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And we're like, ah, Henry VIII, the man who really loved it. Uh, look at me and look at all my stuff, he seems to say. Um, so he was very into the idea that there shouldn't be common land. Everything should be privately owned and essentially for free. 
aristocrats and wealthy merchants were able to take control of these common lands and force the people who had relied on them for sustenance uh, off them. And sometimes they were able to use them for a fee. Oftentimes they weren't allowed to use them at all. And all it cost the um, entrepreneurs involved was the price of paying, you know, some thugs to enforce the enclosure. Uh, no less a man yeah. than Sir Thomas More was furious with this, but he wasn't able to stop it. Uh, and and this is what they were being called up by News Corp and saying, ah, oh, people don't understand how hard I've worked for this investment and how it's, uh, it's crucial that I be allowed to exercise eviction rights to protect my property, my investment. It's Things not just free money, you know. Me. It's not just free money. Yeah. I have to work bloody hard to maintain my completely illegitimate and unjust monopolization of these resources. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot it's of my clearly sweat- not enough hard work to you know fucking deter me from doing it, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, all of the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into my passive income, Pr- primarily other people's, which is why I'm so into- yeah, yeah, yeah. The pre- previous like peasants' rebellions and uprisings had been about local issues with like a particular crap um, landlord essentially, yeah. and, and the object of those revolutions, I think with the exception of Watt Tyler, maybe. Um, mm. But mostly peasant revolutions were about remedying immediate problems. Uh, they weren't about, like, you know, replacing the concept of a landlord. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the levelers were not either, but the diggers were. The diggers believed that the concept of private property was blasphemous. Um Nice. And they believed that uh, the earth was essentially a common treasure for all mankind, and they included women in that. Women were part of mankind, uh, according to the diggers. That's novel. That is so novel. Um, they were really like radical property reformers and yeah. Proto-socialists. They wanted an end to class distinction. They were essentially like pre-industrial socialists. Um, yeah. And they had a huge impact on the way the world developed after Cromwell kind of like, you know, violently destroyed the movement. Um, yeah. The American rebellion against the uh, British Parliament and the East India Company, which... Uh, is something we should probably go into more at some point, um, was inspired by the diggers and the levelers. The French Revolution was inspired by the diggers and the levelers. There was a lot of... Uh, funnily, like, their influence extended far more beyond the Kingdom of England than it actually did within the Kingdom of England. Um, so often the way. Yeah, yeah, it is. But... The you know the beginning of the international cooperative movement in Rochdale uh, was in, mm-hmm. inspired by the diggers. There's a tremendous amount uh, of radicalism in working class English culture. The um, tendency to view England as a conservative politic is because it has a conservative middle class and a conservative aristocracy, and they've controlled the historic narrative. But there have definitely been moments 
and not like blips, like significant moments in English history where the working class have been radical and progressive and dangerous. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think one of the problems with white supremacy is <laughs> fucking weird thing to say. <laughs> one of the problems, apart from the if fact I had to pick something. that it's a hateful uh, lie, uh, one of the influencing factors in white supremacy, I should say, is yeah. this conception <laughs> that has been kind of, I think, swallowed by a lot of people in the English working class that their culture is a conservative culture. Yeah. And that there's a kind of like virtuous place for working people in a conservative culture. And mm -hmm. if English history was taught properly, there would be much less time wasted on the Battle of fucking Agincourt and, you know... <laughs> Yeah, various it's like yeah, there's a lot of emphasis on battles still, which are not relevant parts of history, really. To be no, they're frank. they're like the <laughs> they're... apparatus by which political things were, uh, yeah. political sort of wins were resolved, but they're it's, not. The they're not the itself. interesting yeah. bit. They're not the structural. It would be bit. like thinking of a great. Uh, music performance or something like putting a video of Ella Fitzgerald up and then muting it so that you can watch how she holds her mouth and throat. And it's like, yeah, that that's instrumental, right? I, I think to a, on the instrument to yeah. the exclusion of the effect. I think that's a good way of putting it. And I think to an extent we have the Victorians to blame for this. Um, as with so many things, the Victorian uh, inability to see like to analyze patterns correctly um mm. led to many historic disasters and one of them was this distorted view of history where the um nation state was a, a socially harmonious machine that rationally went about expanding and um yeah. the idea that there are you know vastly complex forces at work in societies and that societies are in fact places filled with tension uh, was something that Victorians either weren't able to or did not want to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of nonsense in the diggers movement as well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> you won't be surprised yeah. to learn. So that yeah, the, sure. there was a, a real belief that like pre-Norman England was a kind of uh, egalitarian utopia. Yeah, which is absolutely not true. Um, it was no, a no. society controlled by landed male elites. It mm. was not as bad as the Norman feudal system, but it was still not good. Like you wouldn't say that you had a strong chance of being happy if you were an ordinary yeah. person in Saxon England. It was it was shit. Yeah, um, yeah. there were very that... once a king had been like actually appointed by the. Uh, Witten, there were very few checks on monarchical power. They were ex it was an extremely centralized state. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 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 the case with all political movements, though, right? There's always a nostalgic. There's strain. always and a I weird. Know that, bit. I know that it's like yeah, particular sure. to fascism, that, the valency there, but like everything has yeah, nostalgia. In Look this instance, the, I think it was relatively movement. harmless. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. The left has its own nostalgic fictions. You'd be like, oh, I wish I lived under Whitlam. And then you'd get there and you'd be like, just fucking raise taxes, dude. Man. Yeah. Stop. Fuck this centrist shill. He yeah. talks a good fight, but what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. Selling fucking Timor down the river. 
yeah for sure um i think i think i think that's completely true and and this didn't seem to be heading in a particularly fascist direction although the kind of um it's interesting so the conception of like the anarchic uh rural or pastoral commune is something that was absolutely plundered by fascists kind of later on in the 20th century yeah um but uh, it's not in and of itself fascist, I don't think. No. The Well, it's, it's, you can't be if you're an anarchist, can you? And I think that's the key sure. difference, right, was that the levelers were essentially early manifestations of English liberals and the uh-huh. diggers were early manifestations of English anarchists. And Why were the diggers called the diggers? This they is, were called the diggers. So it was partly it was there, there were two reasons that have been put mm. forward for the gag, and I suspect they're both correct. One is that they, the levelers wanted to level society. The diggers wanted to go further than that. So what's further than leveling? You have to dig. You have to um, dig. Yep. The other explanation is that they briefly were able to establish an agrarian commune. Um, which was re-established briefly as a gesture in the 1990s by uh, George Monbiot and his kind of middle-class hippies. Um, (laughs) uh, And it was called St. George's Hill in Surrey. Right. um, Which then, and now Surrey has never been a neighbourhood that's particularly thrilled about um, anarchist communes setting up shop. (laughs) <laughs> that was as true in the 17th century as it was uh, would be today. I don't know why yeah. they thought it was a good idea. But um, essentially the, the local people were okay with them because they thought that the army had given them permission to set up there. And once that was – they were kind of disabused of that notion, the diggers were violently expelled. But they did for a time run this cooperative um, society that was essentially based on the premise. What was really important to the diggers was that no individual person or group of people should have any more or less land than they were capable of working and were able to subsist from. So you you couldn't give anybody less than they needed, but nobody was entitled to such a slice of resources that they would have to use subjected labour to work them. Yeah, uh, if that makes any sense. Sure. Yeah. Not as a con- as a concept, it makes sense. I'm worried. I'm always worried that my explanations don't make sense. No, that makes sense. That it's yeah. Uh, they were very heavily that. influenced by the um, Quakers, uh, who yeah, yeah. before the 18th century, the Quakers were one of the most interesting. Uh, branches of Christianity in the world, I think, and probably yeah, yeah. the closest to what if the Nazarene had returned and like checked up on all of the various churches, I think probably he would have recognized the Quakers as being the least wrong of the denominations. Um, yeah, but that went to absolute point. shit in the 18th century because let's face it, what didn't care and what didn't go to shit in the 18th century? It's a great question. And they became an extremely boring uh, group of capitalists who, in my mind, some of the most sinful capitalists are people who not only like are exploiters and use um, private property and violence to uh, enjoy to secure that exploitation, but then don't even enjoy the fruits of the exploitation. <laughs> like they just sort yeah. of still kind of 
dress like they are a clerk at a betting agency, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, well, this is the fun- this is the same fundamental. Like, man, at least have is. some. If you if you're going to destroy my life, can you at least get something out of it? <laughs> yeah, sake? yeah. It's the same the same fundamental perversity with Joe Biden is that he accepts the political donations, uh, passes donor legislation. Uh, undermines progressive movements based on corporate interests and then never got wealthy off it. Yeah, that's true. And people are like, oh, he's the poorest senator in the in the Senate. And it's like, yeah, because he's a fucking idiot. And, yeah. and he, I, don't, I don't trust it. I don't trust that he's willing to be corrupt and not even take the fruit of that corruption. It's the same thing. It's true. He, he, he really does. He must negotiate like Dr. Evil. Um, except <laughs> not even a million dollars because he's not he's not thinking in 1960s terms Biden's still thinking in early 50s terms so he's like oh, I couldn't do this for any less than a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> yeah yeah before tax yes I will be declaring it before <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, Koch brothers were just like looking for the trap <laughs> what yeah <laughs> I'm going to buy 200,000 burgers. Um, you have to sponsor my kids' football team. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They they oh, really man. need uh, grass relayed on that field. It's getting dangerous. The, the corruption. The corruption. Um, there would have been so, none yeah. of that from the early, the proper, the real um, Quakers who were very, very into the idea that human beings were not allowed to exploit one another. And, I, yeah. and, 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 and that was the key to the principle of the diggers more than the levelers were, you could like a very self-interested, like liberals tend to be. Um, they're very good at talking in like ter- universal terms about human rights. But when you actually yeah. sort of break down what they're interested in, you see that they just, what they, they mean they want a free hand for the middle classes essentially. Yeah, um, they want unrestrained business. Whereas the diggers, business and a and a fleet of small submarines. <laughs> oh my God, that's an image I'm going to take a very long time to get out of my head, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have to vote for the new Liberal Party and see what happens <laughs> just to see it, just to just see to what see. comes of it. Um. So it's just like, so of the two reasons why they got their name, one, because they're more than the levelers, or two, just because literally they dug. They did some digging. Yeah. uh, Uh, I just thought it was interesting that there was like a landscaping theme across these two groups. But if if it is a comparative name uh, to the levelers, then it makes a lot of sense. If yeah. it's the other thing, then it's just a kind of a weird coincidence, I guess. Well, this, but that's that's a little bit like the Australian troops, isn't it? Because there are various uh, debates about why Australian soldiers were called diggers, and yeah. one of the worst explanations I've ever heard is because they dug trenches, because that is absolutely what all of the soldiers did at the time. Yeah, yeah. What is what? it that separates us? What should we call ourselves? <laughs> uh, the gun shooters. One of the more yeah. compelling um, theories that I heard was that it was it was because the Australian army at the time, so this is the First World War, when Australia went to war, 
it was an extremely democratic organization as far as an organized army was concerned, including yeah. having elected officers and things like this. And that Diggers was a der- sort of um, derisive nickname that was uh, dumped on them by English officers who had heard of this history of this kind of radical branch of the um, 17th century civil war movement. Yeah. Because the diggers had um, democratically uh, managed forces in Cromwell's army. They were Mm. um, very into the idea of not hierarchy. Yeah, yeah. And that, so that, that's a more interesting explanation. I don't know if it's it, – it, it's totally possible that it's as garbage as because they dug trenches. But um, yeah. I like to think that it was a, a piss take based on somebody's understanding of radical working class history. Possibly. The, the version that I believe uh, is that it's just that they really wanted to sing along to their favourite uh, uh, top 40 hip-hop uh Singles Do you think they were looking and, for a substitute for the N-word? Yeah, yeah, and they were trying to be respectful of the the very real history and impact of certain uh, elements of language. Well, the diggers were famously um, anti-racist, uh, as, as many of their loudest advocates uh, today continue to be. Yeah, it's a in their memory. Yeah, absolutely. The, where the Australian flag flies, there shall be no racism. Uh, yeah. was famously expressed by uh, General John Monash. <laughs> yep. yep. The, re- the reason I bring these, these things up is yeah. because it's very important for uh, us in the culture war and uh, anybody who's thinking of getting involved in the culture war to understand that workers' rights and workers' movements um, are not umbilically connected to Marxism and to, you know, the, like, disasters of Stalinism or Maoism and mm. that they're not something that is opposed to the cultural heritage of the English-speaking world but something that has always been a part of the English-speaking world. There was never a time where um, English fields were staffed by kind of contented peasants happily being uh, benevolently supervised by wise aristocrats um, yeah. and, and, and jolly squires, you know. It was a... It was a f- hellish uh, place (laughs) Um, that was angrily resented by um, the peasantry and and violently resisted by them Uh, whenever they felt they had a chance to get away with it, right? It wasn't a case of like sometimes people were pushed too far and exploded. It tends to be when they felt they had a realistic prospect of affecting change, they would seize that opportunity. Yeah. Um, that's not a sign of happy people. That's not a sign of a successful system. And if no. you follow the kind of the, the the idea in political science that a fragile power is a power that spends more on domestic security than um, internet foreign defence, um, which is not a great definition for various reasons. But if you no, if you, you want to use that sort definition. of... You can say it's a working definition. If you want to use that, then that definitely fits most of yeah. um, 
most most of the history of capitalist culture, frankly, because that yeah. force was the same force. The international defense mechanism was also the domestic um, security organization. Yeah. And it was more readily employed in the latter than the former purpose. Yeah. yeah. So working class radicalism is not new. It is not a challenge to culture. It is a part of culture. Without it, um, we, we, I can't imagine. It's, it's, it's too difficult to imagine what the world would look like without radical working class culture because it literally yeah. would, we would be a different species. We would be, it would have to be a world run by ants or bees or something like that. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. fucking mad. Um, and, you know, from the, from the diggers, we got the Luddites later on who, if we uh, remember the story of the Luddites, they were afraid of the technology because it was complicated and they couldn't understand it. Um, yeah. That's the lesson yeah. of the Luddites. It's, it's not that their opposition to the technology was the economic fragility it would throw them into and the fear yeah. of starving to death, which uh, motivated them to be angry. There was no mm. rationale for it. It's because they were poor and poor people don't understand complex things like rich people do. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And so if somebody doesn't like to use email, then that's the same as if they're terrified of being made redundant and economically insecure. And the Luddites were right, by the way. You get the the smug kind of liberal response of like, but of course the machines created more jobs. Like, yeah, but they were shit, insecure, dangerous jobs. It was much worse. (laughs) We're very much incredibly worse off. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Get your get your get if 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 you're going to be an effective part of the culture war, you need to move beyond the um, you need to move beyond Marxism. You need to look at earlier proto-socialist movements. You need to understand the um, radicalism that has always been a part of day-to-day life. It's not a new weird thing, and you need to be able to explain it to conservatives that it has always been a fundamental part of an unjust, unequal system. Because well, if is, we can yeah, destroy yeah. that conservative fantasy land of before the Jews started to corrupt the workers with their nonsense talk, then yeah. um, then they, they, they won't be able to keep winning the way that they do. They really won't. Yeah. But it requires history being uh, fought and won. Yeah. There weren't yeah, even yeah. Jews in England. <laughs> uh, for the, the diggers, there were no Jews. There Cromwell lets him, he lets some Jews in later. He lets some Jews in um, after this was sort of settled. Mm. But at the time, no Jews. Fascinating. And yet still all of this unrest, Uh, these, these envy, these creatures of envy. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's all just, it's fucking system dynamic, isn't it? Like you can always pull back to a, a nice, safe, deterministic point of view and just be like, uh, well, unrest crops up because of system dynamics. It's not that some uh, nefarious kind of individual, whether they be Jewish or otherwise, gets a nasty idea in their head and then uh, pushes it through the uh, 
through society and destabilizes it for evil mind magics. It's system <laughs> dynamics. It's always been system dynamics. And I think it's it's a really good point to bring up the fact that this shit has been going on as long as as long as there has been work organized uh i was going to say on a large scale but probably on a short uh, on a small scale as well there was it would have been the first people to invent the concept of trying to bully somebody else into doing work for them would have gotten a fucking axe in their head yeah uh, it, it's, it's a very built into the into the system it's how it works because people don't like being fucking ripped off and degraded and that's not an ideological uh a purely ideological uh, illusion. It's it's very material. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Um, and yeah, uh, I was restating your point. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Um, I'm just I'm just supporting you as a, as an ally and comrade does. Supporting you, supporting me. Yeah, yeah, that's how we get through here. That's how we get through I this realize, fucking. I, do, I always. <laughs> I just realized halfway through. I, I always do this. I start. I start waxing uh, poetic about the story that you've brought, and I realize halfway through that I'm just restating your point in a more uh, uh, fractured and, and and fuzzy way. So, well, I don't know if that's fair to you or um, or to me. Frankly, I, I, I think often repetition brings clarity. Yeah. Uh, which is why uh, yeah. I will repeat: human history is not a conservative fairy tale. Yes. The truth is, human history is a radical, dynamic, writhing mess. And for too long, conservatives have been able to lazily control the culture war by virtue of um, our lack of understanding of how the world has been. Yeah. History yeah, is not a series of fucking battles by empires. Yeah. It's not a series. Yeah. It's a series of fights by workers. Uh, well, and not, not, to, not to take away their agency, a series of fights by owners and managers. Yeah. 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 We have to... They were the ones. They started it, Mum. It was the workers. It was the. <laughs> it was not the workers who started it. They were. Um, they were yeah. very much the uh, respondents in the case. Exploiting labor is very much the like. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. Uh, yeah, of course it is. Fight right. Where it's you it, push it's your the hand right up to their face. Yeah, you're one hundred percent. It's um, it's the classic. Like, like they got violent. Like, I didn't make you do it. You could have starved. <laughs> yeah. Where's the courage of your convictions, hippie? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. Can't help but notice that you're using a carrier pigeon, even as you decry the systems <laughs> that uh, enable yeah. the usage of that carrier pigeon. Oh, God. Ironic, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that um, that scythe was actually made by my blacksmith uh, on my estate. So <laughs> if you want to fight me, why don't you put down the scythe that I gave you? <laughs> yeah. Put down my scythe. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Irony alert. <laughs> mm. Fucking hell. Um, yeah. Good, uh, good segment. Segmente. Thank Jesus you. And the levelers. You, you'll also find it's 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 just a fucking more interesting historic story than um, fucking kings and you know 
yeah. garbage like that. It's 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 the difference between uh, a tale told by a sycophant about a narcissist and like a sort of warm shared story around a campfire. Mm. You know, it's a it's a great real history is a wonderful dynamic tale. Yeah. Also has harrowing shit bits. Can't stress that oh, enough. Of course. Of course. <laughs> history yeah. should not be mixed with drinking. Don't drink in history. You'll start crying. <laughs> yeah. Is that just the centerpiece of the 20th century Irish condition, which leaves? <laughs> yeah, just the 20th vulnerable. century one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I just didn't want to speak. I don't know how long, how far back the, the pressing a coin into your son's hand and singing old songs goes. Well, I mean, like whiskey was. So the oldest record for whiskey existing is yeah. the 14th century on the island of Ireland, I think. Um, so mm. we can we can probably say uh, we can probably say 700 years. So they've been getting weepy about history while on the before it even went wrong. Yeah, before the, yeah. before the English got past Dublin, we were, we were already <laughs> like, oh, I can see how this is going. Sure, and Megara, we're going to need some whiskey, boys. We're gonna need some whiskey. Yeah. What's that? Oh, it's like mega beer. We're going to need some mega beer. <laughs> uh, wonderful. All right, let's fucking let's wrap it up. Yeah, thank you for listening to us, Bleakers. I have been Darcy Moran. My colleague has been Kieran Stevenson. This has been a broadcast uh, delayed by the necessities of editing and quality control from the Belmont studio. If you need to get in touch with us, you can do so at weaknessforbleakness at gmail.com. There are no tricks with the spelling, um, but we may not get back to you because we forget to check the email account all the time because this is an amateur production. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not because we're cowards and don't know the answer to your question. It's because we probably haven't seen it and probably won't. But write in anyway, do, because you never know. There have definitely been months-long uh, stretches where I haven't checked the email and then realized in a, in a co- sort of cold sweat, a very yeah. mild cold sweat. And then you race over to the computer and you re- try to remember the password and you somehow stumble into the account and you go, oh, thank fuck, it's still nothing. Yeah, just Twitter's uh, passive-aggressive uh, emails from Twitter calling me selfish for not tweeting enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> quite literally as well <laughs> i checked it this morning uh and what is the 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 subject line is uh weakness for bleakness don't be selfish give That's that a- tweet oh it's encouraging people to retweet i see well i don't remember how to get into the account twitter so the joke's on you <laughs> Fucking Twitter. I I think I managed to do 12 tweets this time. For me, Twitter's like the anti-smoking. I I try to start and I just can't get past a few goes. Yeah. It's too difficult. It's it's really just a place for people to to launder their their mental anguish into a sort of discursive format, really. It's a horrible place. I find it much more tolerable than Facebook, though. Which is that because Face Twitter doesn't have as many like surreal uh, boomers going on about fucking Christ only knows what. That man, what was his name? Um, 
Len, I think. Was it Len? Might have, yeah, it must have been Len. I was thinking it was Len or Les, but I think it was Len. I was I was I was I was I was speaking to him with Mads. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. he was he was trying to correct my grammar. I don't know why. It's a very boomer thing to think that correcting grammar is some sort of like path to victory in an argument. Yeah. But his yeah. his grammar was atrocious, as was his punctuation. And all of his critiques of my one sentence I sent him that sent him into a fucking deranged uh, fury. It was all mm-hmm. completely incorrect. I was extraordinary. But then his wife must have caught him on the internet again because everything got deleted. <laughs> he, <laughs> vanished. he vanished like a puff of smoke. <laughs> yeah. So as as horrible as Twitter is, I don't have to deal with that bullshit on there. Yeah, they still it's... exist, obviously, but they're much more easy to... Usually to corral and in in my mind's eye, they're they're much more likely to be kind of um, Gen X or Millennial kind of ancaps. Yeah, yeah, definitely more likely. There are fewer boomers. There are some boomers on there though. A little contingent, a lot of Q sort of American boomers. They're just everywhere, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, this this episode is supposed to be over. Uh, the episode is over. This is just uh, this is just an overrun. This is uh, this is this is like uh, have you ever made French toast and sometimes you just slightly oversaturate the toast and then there's that weird bit of like pseudo scrambled egg that forms around the base of the crust in the pan. This is that yes. bit. It's yep. not part of the French toast. It's uh, just yeah. attached to it. Kind of exciting conceptually. Not very good, but. Well, if it's not very good, you need to use more spices in your French toast, sir. Sure. Got to get the nutmeg in there and the cinnamon. Okay. I'll take your word for it. I wasn't talking about French toast generally. I was talking about the little tag of scrambled egg at the bottom of the French toast. Yeah, that's what I mean. But if you if you use adequate spices, that tag can be a pleasant bonus to the, uh, as opposed to just inappropriate scrambled egg that, that doesn't okay. go with maple syrup. Right. That's yeah. what I was saying, Kieran. I think we should go now. <laughs> um, is there any? Do you, have, do, you have, do you do you very briefly have anything to add for the listeners' uh, benefit? No, no, I don't. All right, good. Then, then, then let us nail this uh, this one up and uh, go, yep. go go about the business of being about the business. All right, all done. Bye. Fare thee well. <laughs>